part two of our discussion with Coach Dick Bennett. We start by talking about the network of coaches, the network of basketball coaches that takes shape and how those networks um, unfold across all levels and, and how, as Coach Bennett says, most, most coaches are good people who watch out for each other. We also um, went on to talk more about and learn about Coach Bennett's uh, principles that guide his life and and how those have informed him and also the way that his son, Tony, the great coach at the University of Virginia, um, has used the similar principles in his work over the years to with great success. So again, just a great privilege to meet with and speak with and learn from um, the remarkable coach, Dick Bennett. It's so interesting to see the, the networks of relationships that form among coaches. And sometimes they're people you would think would naturally um, go together. And other times you have a guy from like Coach McGuire from, you know, a big city guy coming in uh, and you, you find yourself connected to someone from such a different different background around a common mm-hmm. game that's that's a that's a great thing about the yeah. the world of coaching well too and and coaches generally they're, usually they're really good guys i mean the competition brings out both the best and the worst in us but i would never want to be judged by how i react to intense competition but once that's over, there is a there is a real um, brotherhood, so to speak. I mean, nobody wants to see, even if it's his, a competitor, much less. Uh, I, I mean, including anyone that you don't even know, lose his job, because it means assistants are gone. It means families are affected. That means people. Uh, other than other than those who really know what's going on are making the decision. And um, as you probably know, as you go up the ladder and you get into major college coaching, the decision to be you know fired is 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 made by an AD or so, but it's it's triggered by fan reaction or major donor reaction, major contributors. And that's what I, I never liked. I saw too many people let go. And actually, you know, it's been, I mean, people know because I've been thanked by a couple. I told, I asked Pat Richter to hold on to Stan Van Gundy and not let him go when I was offered the position. I said, I don't think Stan Van Gundy should be let go. He was, he recruited these these kids, most of the kids up till now, and uh, he's a hard worker, and you know this is he was on an interim basis, and I just couldn't. And basically, Pat said that uh, that bus has already left the depot, and of course he did the same thing with uh, Brad Soderberg, my assistant. Right, right. And it was so hard. It's, I, but what I'm getting at is coaches uh, are kind of a you know, a, a close, it's a closed organization. It really is. Uh, no one can understand what it's like 
except for someone who's been in the profession. And that goes all the way down. I feel for high school coaches. You know, I, now I've, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen what's happened uh, because of the exposure basically that any sports gets, especially basketball and football, but I would say especially basketball because it's on every night. Parents now have become very uh, involved in the play of their kids um, and uh, that, that and, and they expect so much more and they're quick to judge and collegiately it's it's kind of like that with parents but also uh, AAU people and anyone who thinks you know you're holding this kid back he's got an NBA career and I've heard it as has my son Tony more than most coaches because they say you know I wouldn't go there they they control they don't go up and down they don't you know they don't the kids the kids don't have freedom. They don't put the ball in a guy's hands. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that or how many times I've been criticized or Tony has been criticized for the way they play. And, um, that didn't exist so much early on. People accepted what you were doing. Um, but now if it, it, it if you're not winning big and and the fans don't like it, you can you can get pushed out quite easily. In in this kind of uh, current day environment, coach, it's been so impressive to me to see um, your son Tony, um, and I know he must have drawn a lot of this from you. Um, develop his program around these pillars, and I and I've and I've heard you talk about this and read a lot about your 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 principles are like passion and humility unity servanthood um how how is it a different challenge for for tony today than it was for you over the years to yes. work with these values yes yes absolutely and you need to know this those feet those aren't my principles when i went to green bay um, after Stevens Point, um, and I knew, I, I was told, you know, you have so many years, we have to get this Division One program up and running, or else we'll go backward to Division Three. And I accepted that. I was told up front. And so, I, at that point, I had been influenced uh, a lot by Tony in his Christian uh, pursuit. He had he had really been impacted by um, going to F FCA camps, and um, he had tremendous uh, influence in a number of high school coaches, and and so on. And he influenced my wife and I. We've always been Christians, but not we were. I was a, just a traditional Catholic. I don't know if you are. Uh, I don't, but I, I never fully understood what being a Christian was. And so when I took the job at Green Bay, I, I said, I need, I need to find a way to be in the world and of the world from 
John 17th chapter in the gospel. I need to find a way. There has for me to be a coach, you know, at a division one level, if I have to, if I have to um, move away from what I believe a Christian should be and what the way I see my family growing and what I have come to believe, then I don't think I can coach. And I became more immersed in the Bible. And in studying the New Testament and really studying and thinking and praying and, and having some good counseling with different men and uh, different pastors and priests, you know, it, it it really came to me that Christ, we all know the, the humility that he displayed, um, the life he lived in a very humble manner, humble beginnings, the people he hung with, we, his passion, um, was to the death. His, he he corralled a group, you know, and and taught unity, such that it changed the world. Uh, he it based on servanthood, and the Bible said, "Be thankful." And I said, "Okay, if Christ taught, lived this, and called us to live in a manner uh, similarly, how can you coach this way? Is it possible?" Is it a dog-eat-dog? And I, and I began to think, and I said, okay, why do players... It, I examined the end of a game, or I thought about it, I didn't examine it, I didn't do any research on it, I just knew. It's usually when somebody tries to be, does something he can't do. He's just out of pride. One guy will force a shot, one guy will go for a steal, and be out of position, go for a block. It's pride. It's just stupid pride why people um, try things and then they become unglued as compared to, and, and I grew up, by the way, I don't know if you knew it, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, PA. And yeah. when I was, uh, I think we moved near Green Bay when I was, I think it was 10 or 11, and then when I was in high school, I went over to watch Lombardi's practices all the time. I should have mentioned him as being a major influence because he was. And we had season tickets. We got him right away. But anyhow, the point that I took from watching Lombardi's practices is they never beat themselves. The term was losing. They didn't lose. You had to beat them. And so I'm thinking along the lines how in rebuilding remember now i'm trying to build a pro rebuild a program that has done nothing but lose it was that way at at stevens point it was that way at green bay and pretty much at wisconsin and certainly washington state so how can we eliminate losing well we can't be stupidly prideful which is kind of what happened they these guys are put on a pedestal and they think they can do anything and you, they're not going to stay, stay the course defensively. And so in rebuilding, you have to get players you can lose with. And I've heard Tony say that I don't know how many times since he's been at Virginia. They'll say, well, what, how did the, how did you get here? And he says, well, one thing, we started with players we could lose with. And I still recruit those kind of guys because they will stay the course. They won't quit on you. 
And so you look for you look for kids that are humble. When you sit in their sit in the, you know the house in your home visit, or even in their campus visit, you learn a lot about them. You learn a lot about their parents. Uh, you know, so what do you expect from us? Uh, tell me about your son. Tell me about your strengths. Where do you need work? And by the end of it, you, you can make a pretty good guess on how humble they are. The, the whole defensive thing is built on passion. And I make that crystal clear. You know, you know we will be a defensive team. And that is based on great intensity. And as your coach, I'm passionate about it. I may, you may be critical of my offensive theories, but uh, you will accept whatever we do defensively and you will play it to the hilt or you won't play. Um, I, I want to say that up front. You can say that to humble kids. And so I don't have to sell effort every night, although you have to break it down and, and, uh, on that point, I've heard, I've told Tony a number of times, because he gets a million calls, which he can't always feel, how do you get them to play defense like that? How do you, because I was asked that. And it's simple. I just say every night. It's not, you know, coaches are, uh, we're all, we all want to work a little more offensively. But the point is, um, you can have a system defensively, uh, and the problem is you think you got it because they understand it and you run the drills, but if it's not maintained, it just gets softer and softer, and I always judged it by ball pressure. When I saw the ball pressure slipping, I knew we weren't working on it enough. Well, Tony, right up through the, right up before the national championship game, they're breaking down their defense and they're going full tilt on it uh and working in breakdown drills and so the passion was his unity oh that you know basketball offers major dividends on teams that stay together and accept roles and um that includes the last guy on the bench um i when i when tony's when i go out before the season i always call the managers up and the walk-ons and I always salute them in front of the, the rest of the team because I said these guys are here because they love to be a part of this program they are the real servants which took us into servanthood the unity that you know nothing's going to crack us we're going to stay together and these guys are going to be a big reason because they're here to serve. And so when we tell you to be in the help position, when we tell you to make the extra pass, when we tell you to hold this guy off the glass, even though you won't rebound it, when we tell you to set screen after screen to get our shooters open, um, you will understand servanthood. And then... The hardest thing, I mean, I don't know that I ever learned it. I think Tony did. Is He's so much better than I am in most every way. But anyhow, when we when we lose, it's easy enough to be thankful when everything's going. But mostly the benefit will come when we lose or we're beaten even. 
um, because the wisdom for us to move on is there. And, and that's probably the biggest source of uh, wisdom that I know. If people can deal with the setbacks, that's where there are reasons for all of that. And as I say, I go back to Lombardi for how do you achieve that stuff? And I said, and I say, and I remember even this from my um, education courses uh, at Ripon, um, he, he believed execution comes through repetition, and repetition is um, only uh, possible if what you're teaching is simple. So if you take a simple approach to the game, for me, for me, Antonio is one basically one defense, one way of playing it, a system. Similarly, offensively, then we can we can run drills defensively and offensively over and over. We can achieve the repetition, which will give us the execution as opposed to trying to do too many things, which is what you learn early in your coaching. You want to please everybody. Uh, coaches come in and say, we're going to be really exciting. And you got to pay a price to do that. But that's what Lombardi did. And I couldn't get over that. I could tell you, you know, the drills he ran, his live-or-die drills, the way he taught his receivers to catch the ball, and the fact that they ne- they didn't commit penalties. You know, they were just, they never beat, they seldom beat themselves. And I thought that made such an impression on me that um, eventually when I was able to think of, through these principles, I said, well, uh, these cornerstones, pillars, as Tony calls them, we can do this. And I can, I can teach the game through Jesus' principles. So when people say to you or say to me, your principles, I always say, they're not my principles. They're, they're the principles of the man uh, I worship, the, the man who is my Lord and Savior. Sometimes it's hard to say that, depending on your audience, but I always say it. And so that has been, um, that, that enabled me to accept the challenges that I did and when I couldn't accept it anymore, um, for one reason or another, most mostly it was pride. You get a little too big for your britches and you don't handle the pressure of the game or the criticism or the losing that goes with rebuilding. You have to step aside. And I remind my son of that. <laughs> if, if you talk to him, he'd get so sick of He'd say, yes, I hear that every week from my father. <laughs> <laughs> Well, coach, I, one, and our daughter too. I don't know if you knew our daughter was a great coach. Yes, uh, uh, she won a national uh, title at Oshkosh. Went sixty-one and one in her last two years, thirty-one and zero in her last year, thirty and one the year before. Rebuilt the Evansville program. Won a Big Ten title at Indiana, and she was in a car crash. She broke her neck, and then she was out of coaching. And then she assisted um, Lisa at Wisconsin for two years. Anyhow, she was at Wisconsin for two years and then she went to Northern Illinois and she was burned out. She yeah. was, 
that accident, yeah. you know, affected her emotionally. Well, it's it's remarkable that you've been able to have this impact on your on your own children, but also this whole kind of list of coaches who over the years have worked with you and learned from you, and, and a lot of them have been able to be so successful in, in different places. I've wondered why that seems like that's a challenge for a lot of other coaches that a coach can be in one system and they have a difficult time replicating it. Do you have any sense for why your, your own kids and others have, have been so successful? Well, it isn't isn't because of any genius or anything. It's, it's, it's like Ben, um, Ben Hogan, I gotten into a little golf. I don't know if I'm going to be able to play. I, I had some <laughs> spinal fusion oh. surgery this November, and I have torn my rotator cuff also. So I'll find out Friday. I'm going to try. But he he said they would ask him how he honed his his uh, repeatable swing and made contact so perfectly every time. And he always said it's in the dirt. Well, my response, as I said before, is. If you're gonna, if you're gonna become really good at something, first of all, you cannot overcomplicate it. But it's every day, it's every day, and I mean, you it takes it takes incredible amount of time to organize a practice um, on the things that need to be done within that simple system, and yet you have you have to do it that way. And the hard times are when you're rebuilding and it's not going well or when you've lost a couple and, you know, you you have to force the kids to continue to do it. And they're looking at you like, you know, why are we doing this? We, geez, we just, we can't shoot the ball. Why aren't we working on some special ways to score more? Why don't we push the ball a little more? Why don't we trap a little more so we can get out and do some things to force turnovers? And that's why I said... You have to recruit kids that you can lose with, because mm-hmm. as soon as you, you know, I've had a few guys that thought they were a little better than they were, and boy, they anything that goes wrong, they're the the first to criticize or the first to drop their heads or start loafing a little bit. And the ability to push those kids through it all is what I think separates coaches to stay the course. But to push them without being nasty, swearing, being abusive, because you can't do that. I mean, when, when I coached high school and college ball, I was very intense. I didn't swear, but I probably couldn't even be as critical or demanding as I was then. I, I watched Tony's practices. They sent me this year because I was laid up. They sent me on YouTube all of his practices up through I think right into February, and um, he got it done. He got it done, and they were struggling because he had a he had a massive rebuilding job. He didn't expect to lose the kids he lost, who would have been back, and yet he stayed the course, and so did his players. And I I really admired that. Coach, um, I my I sure appreciate. This is really great to hear so many great insights from you. Um, one final question I have for you is for that for every you've coached so many guys over the years and and for every Tony Bennett or Terry Porter there are lots of other guys who you know they didn't become 
famous NBA players or, or super, mm-hmm. you know, championship winning coaches. Um, are there success stories of, of other guys that stand out to you over the years of, of people you worked with that made really meaningful contributions, even if it were in simple ways um, in their lives that made you gratified or proud as a coach? Yes. Well, you know, every summer, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> a groups from each of my uh, college teams, sometimes combined with a few high school players, come in and spend a day with me. We play golf and come over, and my wife, Ann, loves to treat them, and we have a, even have a couple beers together, but talk. And the, the thing that I've noticed is the, these guys who come from Stevens Point, from Green Bay, from Wisconsin, and a number of the high school kids, they've all, they're all really good family men, and they've all done well in the work that they're doing. And most of them are still helping in some capacity in basketball with their children. A, f- number, of, a, few, a number of them are coaches, um, also coaching high school ball. Um, but I, I sit back and, and I think, geez, these guys are good guys. And some of them, I mean, Mike Kelly, who was the guy that most people know from Wisconsin, I mean, he always talks about the pillars. He says how that he's been able to talk to his children about those thoughts. And uh, he even sent a shirt one time that had those pillars on them for his little grade school team or his, his, son, uh, his daughter's team. And I think it was AAU ball or something, eighth, ninth grade. And they talk about that stuff, you know, and I, I wonder and I say, I, they don't have to th- they don't have to tell me about that stuff. They are, they're not obligated. Let's just have, but they talk about it meaning in a way that must have meant something to them. And, and they're so close, like, uh, the kids on those teams. And that makes me realize, um, in fact, I, I told my wife, we were, my wife and I were talking about it this morning on another matter. I said, you know, you, you don't, you forget how important the time you spend with them is. Not that it's about you, but they're like sponges. It's a little harder at the college level. Their values are a little more shaped, as I'm sure you know. But at the high school level, there's a major impact because that is one of the most important things in their lives. You know, you'd like to say, well, my my English class or my math work or my uh, my grades are the most important thing to me. And they, they work hard at it, and they are usually good at it. But you mentioned basketball, and it's just, it's the highlight. It's what they, they dream of doing. And so um, you have a way of impacting them, uh, that a lot of people don't have that opportunity and and it stays with them if it's a bad experience that stays with them if it's a good one that stays with them and they talk about it and i'm sure that's why they continue to come back because it meant something to them and i'm just proud that you know i could be happy that i could be a part of them because i made a lot of mistakes and um 
the kids always told me, I know even my own son, I said, Dad, the one thing we always liked is when you made a mistake, you owned up to it and you apologized to us. And I can't tell you how many doors I knocked on at night at the college level, dorm doors, you know, <laughs> say, hey, I'm sorry, I said something tonight I regret to you. Uh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And Tony always talked about that. He lived with his best friend, Ben Johnson, who was our best defensive player at Green Bay. And I, <laughs> I would get on those guys. And But, you know, they give you a chance to be real. Mm. And it's an area that they deeply care about. And so if, if a coach thinks, um, well, I'm in it to make a name for myself or I'm in it for... Well, because I would, I taught, and you know it's a chance to make a little more money in school. I I would be a little hesitant. I know they'll probably do a good job, but when you're invested in it, it it's it's life changing for you and shaping, molding for them. It's such and a so every yeah. position I've had has changed me a little bit. I'd like to think for the better, even when I made a mess of it. Well, there are generations it sounds like that still come back and attest to the influence that's a that's a powerful uh life to have lived to be able to have that kind of an impact yeah, yeah. they they're i they love my wife she was always uh, so gentle and good with them and i know they love to see her but they love to talk old stories and uh i talk to them the wisconsin group especially is uh we we always we always uh, find a new way a way to beat <laughs> Michigan State because my last year the final fourteen we lost them four times <laughs> in one season four times I said who could who could do that they always say after you could beat oh they'll never beat you third time um, I said but we managed to do it four times how how could we have beat them well they all have their own theories. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's part of the beauty great. of being on a team is being able to go over those old memories and to relive them together. That's yeah. a, it's a great thing. Yeah. yeah.